So it was 2013, actually a while ago, I looked this up, and uh, it was a magazine, uh, Forbes, if you ever heard of Forbes magazine, did a fun little March Madness tournament with 32 annoying expressions in the business world. Annoying expressions in the business world. The readers actually voted, they set up the whole bracket system, and the winner of the most insufferable, overused business statement was, drumroll please, the title of this message, Come to Jesus. You see, there are times in the business world where if Ted doesn't improve his numbers, we're going to have to have a come to Jesus moment. Poor Ted, all right? But maybe you've heard that expression, maybe you've even used that expression, a come-to-Jesus talk with your kids, I've heard that one before. Um, It may be the most annoying expression in the business world, but it's the most rewarding action in the spiritual world. You think about that. You can come to Jesus anytime for any reason. When you do, you find rest for your soul. The problem is, is that Many people believe it's complicated, like trying to find the lost city of Atlantis to come to Jesus. There are churches that make it really difficult to come to Jesus. Personally, I'd like to preach this message, or at least play it in every church that feels you have to jump through hoops to come to Jesus. There are churches that teach you must attend their services to come to Jesus. You must get baptized If you want to come to Jesus, you must repeat a prayer if you want to come to Jesus. But honestly, if anything but Romans 10.9 is taught, they need a come to Jesus moment. Because Romans 10.9 says, maybe you're familiar with it, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's all you need to come to Jesus. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. God truly raised them from the dead. If you don't believe that, then the communion that you took this morning, it really means nothing. You had a piece of bread that left you not very satisfied, and you drank a little bit of grape juice that didn't do anything for you. But if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then that little piece of bread and that cup means a whole lot, doesn't it? That's right. Nothing more, nothing less than that. There are religious rules in many churches, and they don't save you. And they certainly don't give you rest for your soul. They are, as Jesus taught, heavy yolks that weigh you down. I'm not talking about eggs, folks, okay? Let me give you a picture of a yolk. I have one for you. A yoke is what binds together two oxen so that they can plow the field. Those two oxen cannot separate. They cannot go their separate ways. They have this heavy wooden contraption on them to bind them together. And if you want to come to Jesus, he made this simple offer in Matthew 11. Maybe it's one of your favorite verses. Come to me. All you who are, who are, who are um, weary and heavy laden or labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He said in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now what was Jesus talking about? What is the context of this when Jesus said this? Jesus understood that there was the law, right? The Jewish people understood that there were 600 plus commandments that they had to obey. And let me tell you something, that's a lot of rules and that becomes very heavy, right, and burdensome. The religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they all would put the yoke upon the people. You have to obey all of these rules. Today we have churches and some religious people that do the same thing. And it makes coming to Jesus a mystery. Like how they build those pyramids in Egypt. A mystery. It doesn't have to be. I, w- I want you to know more than anything that coming to Jesus is very simple. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I know most of you are here today because you already know that. You've already come to Jesus from a salvation standpoint. You're saved. You're going to heaven. You know this. You see what the Word says. But my question to you then is, have you come to Jesus with everything? With everything. Is there a closet with a skeleton in it that you just haven't brought to Jesus yet? Is there something that you're holding on to in your life you're a little bit too embarrassed about or maybe you're afraid? Well, what will Jesus think about that? What will people say? A couple weeks ago, I was at a pastor's lunch and our speaker for the lunch was a retired pastor who now has a ministry of pastoring pastors. We need shepherds too. He gave us this book called Survive or Thrive, written by Jimmy Dodd. And in there, Jimmy, uh, the author, shares this story of a pastor who came to him, and his ministry is Pastor Serve. He came to him with a secret sin he had been living with for a long time, something that he was ready to confess. He felt that Jimmy was a safe person to share it with. And I'm not going to talk to you about the sin, but what I want you to see is that the way in which the author speaks to this person who is ready to finally come to Jesus with everything. Because I think it's important for you to hear that, because if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to deal with that stuff that you have in your life that you've kind of put aside and you don't want anybody else to know about it. Maybe nobody does know about it, but God does. You can't hide anything from him. And you finally want to come to Jesus. This is what he says. First of all, sitting down with this man who is ready to confess his sin, he speaks to him this way. He says, first of all, I love you. And I just want you to picture this church saying this to you, if you have something you need to bring to the Lord. First of all, I love you. There is absolutely nothing you could tell me today that will make me think less of you. It won't be a shock to me when you tell me you're broken, because I already know you're broken, and I am too. Apart from Jesus, neither of us has an ounce of hope. I don't think you're in deep weeds, and I'm not. I do think you're in deep weeds, and I'm right there with you. 
I need the grace of Jesus today as much as you need the grace of Jesus today. I know there's a tendency to hold back. I understand you may be reluctant to tell me everything. You likely think because you believe Satan's number one lie. I can't tell him everything. If he knew everything, he would reject me. He says he wants to be my friend now, but if he really knew me, he definitely wouldn't like me. He'd stand up and walk out and tell me I have no business being in ministry. There's no way I disclose everything. I'll just share the tip of the iceberg and see how he reacts. Jimmy continues, I know you'll disclose some things to me today. And just know that when you share an inch of your story, because I know the tendency to hold back, I'm going to assume it's closer to a mile. And let me tell you now, if it's a mile, we're going to love you, walk with you, care for you, and pastor you because we are here for you. I want you to know that this church is here for you. No matter what is going on in your life, we are here for you. We will walk with you, whatever it is that you're holding on to. If it's big or little, I want you to come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Father, today, you have given me the privilege of speaking your word to a group of people that I pray have ears to hear. And Lord, I pray that as we hear your word, that we would respond in worship, that we would come to you, that we would seek you out, that we would seek help from from you, from the church, from the body of Christ. Father, I pray today that whatever it is in our lives that are, we're keeping a secret, we're holding back. I pray, Father, today would be a breakthrough day and that we could come to you with everything and find rest for our soul. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. So I have four examples from Luke chapter 7 that Jesus shares. Jesus was speaking to the people. Uh, this is what happened in, in his uh, ministry. And I think that you'll find that each scenario um, could apply to you today. It could be something that you've happened in the past. Uh, um, but let's take a look at those and um, we'll see how it, how it goes. Luke 7 verse 1. This is right after the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so Jesus is kind of in the second year of his ministry. He's very popular, and it's the second year, um, or the second year, I said, and then it's right after the Sermon on the Mount. He, he goes back to Capernaum. He finished all his sayings. That's the Sermon on the Mount, verse 1. And he goes back to Capernaum, and in Capernaum, he's there. And a centurion, so a centurion, like the word century, is a soldier in charge of a hundred soldiers. That's a centurion. So he's like an officer, he's in charge of 100 soldiers in Rome, and he had his own servant who was sick that was dying, and he was highly valued. In verse 3, the centurion heard about Jesus, and he sent to Jesus elders of the Jews. He had a relationship with the Jewish people. doesn't mean he was Jewish, he probably wasn't, he was a Roman citizen, but he had a relationship with the Jewish people. In fact, you're going to find out he believed in their God. It says, he sent them to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. He believed Jesus could do it. They came to Jesus and they pleaded with him earnestly. That is the elders of the Jews. Saying, 
this man is worthy for you to do this for him because he loves our nation. He loves it so much, he built us a synagogue. I love that. A Roman soldier building a church for the Jewish people. I mean, that's crazy, right? Jesus goes with them. He's on his way to heal this man's servant. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent messengers, friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you. I did not presume to come to you. But this is the part. Say the word. Just say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. That soldier understands the power of a command from an officer. Now, I have personally not served in the military, but I know many of you have. And when you serve in the military, you better obey the word of your commanding officer or you're in big trouble. Am I right? And all the military men and women said, Amen, yes, sir! <laughs> we had a young man in our church many years ago, he was a Marine, and uh, it was just a strange thing. Every time I would talk to him, I'd say, Hey, Drake, you want to go fishing? Yes, sir! <laughs> you know, everything was, yes, sir! I'm like, okay. It's just a part of his vernacular. So, we have this the soldier, the centurion, who understands the power of a word, a command. And then he says this to Jesus, For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. He understands the ranking. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. Jesus heard this, and he marveled, and he turned to the crowd and said, I tell you, not even in Israel, not even in Israel, not even a a Jewish person have I found such faith. And when he heard that, he sent them back to the house, and the servant was well. I believe this should be a reminder to you that you can come to Jesus simply by the power of his word. Simply by the power of his word. You see, there are people today that are skeptical and don't believe. Right? They, they, they say, well, they'll believe in God if they could use their five senses. Have you heard that? They're, they're so logical that, that, that unless they can use their senses, they won't believe in God. But this, think about this question. How do you smell, taste, touch, hear, or see a spirit? God is spirit. How do you do that? How do you use your senses? Your your senses will not ultimately cause you to believe in God, but your spirit will. When your spirit is awakened by the word. Think about that. That's what the word does. How else can you explain the millions of people that didn't believe, they heard the word of God, and then they believed? There's no other explanation for that. Other than there is power in the word, and it brings new life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Back then, you could go to Jesus in person. Many did, right? Nicodemus pursued him in the dark, right? Because he was you know, afraid of what other people might think. But he went to Jesus. But you can't do that now because he went to the cross 
God raised him from the dead and he ascended to heaven. But you can still come to Jesus just the same way they did back then, by the power of his word. This this man understood the power of Jesus' word. And honestly, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's just like Jesus is sitting across the table from you, sitting next to you on the couch. He's speaking to you. The word of God is living and active, the Bible tells us. So there is power in the word. When you come to Jesus, you'll find rest for your soul by the power of his word. Amen? Second example, Luke 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus traveled to a city called Nain, and in his, uh, his disciples and a great crowd were following him. And uh, the, he drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died had been carried out. So he walks into this town in the midst of a funeral procession, okay? And the only son, the man who died, was the only son of his mother. She was also a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Nobody to take care of her now. She's all alone. No husband, no son. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the bier. It's not a Budweiser, by the way. That's a coffin, okay? A coffin. A beer is a coffin. The bearers, Paul bearers, stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the, de- uh, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. When that happened, fear seized everyone, but they glorified God. It was a holy fear. And they said, A great prophet has risen among us. He's visited his people And this report about Jesus spread throughout the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. It's stuff like this that made Jesus incredibly famous and popular. But this story reminds us to come to Jesus with our grief. With our grief. Has someone you love died? And eventually everyone will answer, yes. If you don't work through your grief, Eventually, you will crumble. You can tell yourself all you want, I got this, I'm just going to keep pushing, pushing through, I don't need to talk to anybody, eventually that's going to catch up to you. It's not healthy. You can keep your grief bottled up, but eventually someone will come by and drop a Mentos in your pop bottle. You know what happens when you put Mentos in pop, right? It explodes. All over you, all over everyone. Okay, if you haven't seen that, you seriously got to get on YouTube a little bit more, all right? It's always out there. But if you're grieving today, Jesus and this church will walk with you. So come to Jesus with your grief and find rest for your soul. You may feel sad still, but you can find joy in that when you have Jesus. Come to him with your grief. Third example is to do with John the Baptist. Now, we know John the Baptist in the beginning of the Gospels, baptized Jesus, and then if you don't know the rest of the story, okay, he basically got put into jail. So he had a short ministry. He was put into jail. Um, Some of the things that he said, um, the, the king didn't like it. So he's in jail, and he hears what's going on, what Jesus is doing, And so he sends a couple of his disciples to Jesus, 
And he asks them this question that I know perplexes many people. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John the Baptist baptized Jesus. He knew him. He was related to him. He had the Holy Spirit in him, yet he still asks, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Now, what do we draw from that? Simply this. He's human, and he had doubts. Are you human? Then you have doubts. And that's normal. But come to Jesus with your doubts. There's something about Christianity that bugs you, that you don't quite, you're not on board with. Come to Jesus with your doubts. Go to the Word. Whatever it is. Look at what happens. Look at Jesus' response to John the Baptist. I mean, you would think he would lay into John the Baptist. Come on, John, what are you What are you asking that question for? You know me. But this is what he says. Verse 22. Go and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers left, Jesus began to talk to the crowds about John. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Meaning, was that a wishy-washy preacher out there? Or did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? No, John wore weird clothes and ate weird food. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing live in luxury in king's courts. John hung out in the desert. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare a way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. What a compliment he gives to his cousin John. Yet, he says to you and to me, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John, meaning we need to be humble. And then this is the response from the people there. When the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just because they got baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, the ones that didn't, they rejected this because they were not baptized by John. And Jesus says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are these people like that I'm dealing with? And the answer is really no different than they are today. Because he says this, they're like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a sad song and you didn't weep. John the Baptist came eating no bread, drinking no wine, and you say he's got a demon. I come, right, Eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is saying, we can't win with you people. And then he says, wisdom is justified by all her children. So lots of people doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. And frankly, the simple reason is he didn't meet their expectations. Where did he come from? A really cool city? came from Nazareth. What good comes out of Nazareth? 
right? We know him. We know his family. That's not possible. The Messiah, we won't know him. He'll just float down from the sky. They had their, their idea of who the Messiah would be, and Jesus didn't fit the description. They had doubts. But don't be like them. Don't hold on to that. Go to Jesus with your doubts. Go to him. Because if you don't ever go to Jesus with your doubts, if you don't ever go to the word, guess what? The evil one will be right there speaking lies into your doubts. They will match your doubts. Let me give you some examples. You may think, or you may have even said this before, I doubt God cares about my little problem. You ever said that before? You ever thought that? Well, guess what? Satan says, nobody has time for your little problem. You might have thought, God will not forgive me again. I did it again, and no, God's not going to forgive me. And Satan will say to you, you, there are limits to God's forgiveness. You're right. He's not going to forgive you. You may think to yourself, God wants me God just, I doubt God wants me to have a better life. I deserve this, what I'm going through. And Satan will say, yep, you don't deserve a better life. You're a mess. See, Satan tried to twist God's words when he tempted Jesus. But Jesus knew the word of God. Right? That's what he did. You have a doubt, you hear a lie, you have a choice. Do you put it to the test of the Word of God? Do you come to Jesus with it? Or do you just keep on believing it? You've got to take your doubts to God. You've got to come to Jesus with your doubts, and you'll find rest for your soul. Fourth example, the last one, verse 36. I think a lot of you will like this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house, reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, okay, not, um, uh, not a good job she had. She was a sinner. That's a nice way of saying it. She was most likely a prostitute. She learned he, he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. This woman brought an alabaster flask of anointment. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, she was weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, anointed them with the ointment. Just imagine yourself at this dinner table and this is going on. Like the, these men are trying to have these you know, important conversations and there's this woman who's broken. She's a mess. And she's doing this. Well, the Pharisee eventually had enough. Verse 39. He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, Say it. Verse 41. He gives him a little parable. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. They could not pay, so he canceled the debt of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said, well, I suppose the one who canceled 
the larger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. And then he turns to the woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me their, their customs when you enter someone's house for dinner. You give them a, a, a polite kiss. You wash their feet because they walked around in the dirt with sandals. You even anoint their head with oil. It was a way of welcoming them in and saying, you're my special guest. Jesus said, you gave me, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, because she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table began to say amongst themselves, who is this that forgives sins? But then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Come to Jesus with your mess. This woman was a social outcast, deemed useless. Jesus restored her. God had a plan for her. I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you're at in your stage of life. God has a plan for you. I was reminded of this exact um, scenario, not, not, not this scenario, I was reminded of, of that God has a plan for us. I, I was visiting a woman um, about 15 years ago who was in the hospital, and she was, she almost died. When I visited her, um, she looked like she was dead. Her body was in rough shape. It was bad. And uh, because I was clergy, I was allowed to, to come into the hospital. I prayed for her um, body. And honestly, I remember thinking to myself, Lord, this is a wonderful woman who's encouraged me greatly. She lived a great life. You can take her home now. I mean, that's where it was at. That's what I was thinking. Well, God didn't take her home. Uh, Fifteen years later, She's still doing what Miss Ernestine does. She's an amazing woman, encourages everyone she talks to, builds people up, lifts them up. She's a precious gift from God, and she does it every day. She treats every day like it's a precious gift from God. So you may think that your life is a mess and God can't use you. It's too late for you. God's not going to bother. Well, if you think like that, I call that stinking thinking. Because God's got a plan for you. God has a plan. And you might just be in a difficult season of life, because we all have those, but God has a plan, and he loves you. And he wants you to come to Jesus with your mess and find rest for your soul. Here at Life of Purpose, we're going to walk with you no matter what. Because I believe the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't ever forget that. Come to Jesus and find rest for your souls. Let's pray.